I'm Neve Cassidy, a former social care worker who, after having my own children, found a calling as a childbirth educator and lactation consultant. Back when I started this journey, I faced the same challenges many of you might be experiencing right now, struggling to get enough clients to make my business viable long term. I knew in my heart that I had the skills and knowledge to make a difference, but the thought of marketing and selling left me feeling a bit uneasy. I didn't want to compromise my authenticity and values just to attract clients. I invested in trainings and mentorships, and I tried various strategies that I learned, but it often felt like I couldn't implement a lot of it because what I was being taught didn't match my values as a birth and postpartum worker. That's when I decided to take matters into my own hand. I embarked on a mission to learn, to experiment, and to find ethical and authentic ways to share my expertise, support my clients, and build a sustainable practice. Today, I'm proud to say that I run a thriving private practice, and I'm here to share my insights with all of you to help you to do the same. Join me on this journey as I help you bridge the gap between your passion for supporting new parents and the success you deserve. Together, we'll discover the power of ethical, authentic, and effective approaches, not only to make a living, but also to make a positive impact in the world of birth and postnatal care. Let's get started on this empowering journey together. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of our podcast. And today I have a very special guest, Jennifer Santos, who is going to talk to us a little bit about burnout in our professions. So Jennifer is a former childbirth educator and doula and a current certified nurse midwife working with parents and birth workers in a state of overwhelm to provide information, support and evidence supported interventions to move them from burnout to bliss. She was also a participant in our Birth Pro Boost program earlier this year. So it's lovely to see you again, Jennifer. How are you? Good, Neve. How are you? I am really well. Thank you. So maybe you'd start by just giving us a little bit of the history as to why this topic is important to you. I survived it. Like so many people who get into work like this, I was, as you said, a childbirth educator and a doula and I went to school for 10 years to become a nurse midwife. And after all of that, I practiced for a little while. And then I had an injury to my hand and I had to leave clinical practice, but I didn't want to. I fought against taking leave. And once I was off for a couple of weeks, I looked at a colleague and I said, you know, I'm not angry all the time anymore. And I realized how I had been affected by just the grind. And, you know, we were, having a clinical practice. And we were also starting a birth center. We had a lot of meetings, you know, on top of taking care of people. So it was a lot. And I just was overwhelmed. And I don't think it's any one institution. I think it's a system. Absolutely. And it's something, I think what was interesting there is that you didn't know that that was what was happening at the time. And it was only when you came out of it that you were able to recognize that something was different. Yeah, it took me, you know, zooming out to my own situation and realizing that it isn't just me, realizing that the system really puts people in a position to be overwhelmed on a regular basis. The nature of the work, the nature of the way we're available to people, you know, around the clock and being on call and the way we put our families second sometimes and all of that really builds up. And is this a big problem in um, healthcare settings, in birth work? Absolutely. So if we look at the people who are at the highest risk for burnout, we have women, which most birth workers are. 
We have caring professions, which most of us get into this work because we're really called to it, not because we're looking to make a lot of money at it. Type A, so those of us who are business owners have a little bit of that type A personality, decreased work-family balance, which I touched on with being on call and long hours away from family, and decreased professional recognition. So if you are a doula or a lactation consultant or a childbirth educator, even a nurse or a midwife, you know we're doing a lot of the same things as people at a much higher quote-unquote level of practice but we don't get the recognition and we're certainly not getting the financial compensation that they get. So it's kind of a recipe for burnout. It absolutely is. And listening to the risk factors, as you said, there with women being at the top and then a lot of those other factors tend to be female led industries or activities. So being in a healthcare profession, the balance between work and family life. And what was the last one you said again? decreased professional recognition so the just recognize for what you're doing yeah exactly and that would be very common in more female dominated industries as well that there wouldn't be that recognition and when people are working in more holistic type birth work where there may not be a formal university qualification attached to it that can feel very real too Absolutely. And, you know, that's one reason I use the word evidence supported, because I think the word evidence based has become a little bit of a gatekeeper that we, first of all, it's hard to access the evidence if you're not part of an institution, right? So our doulas are trying to do the best they can and get the information, but sometimes it's gatekept behind a paywall. So I think evidence supported is important. I really like that term, actually, and to just deviate slightly because I like it. Um, (laughs) Evidence supported, because sometimes even if we can access the information, the research hasn't been done. So we can look at different research that might complement the techniques or the suggestions that we're making that they might be evidence supported, but they might we might not necessarily have that clinical trial on it. Absolutely. And there's, you know, different qualities of evidence and different ratings on recommendations. And nobody wants to practice from a cookbook, no matter how you serve birthing people. How can people know if they are in burnout or if they are approaching burnout? What can we keep an eye out for? There are three main domains of burnout that I talk about quite a lot. One of them is exhaustion. It's that tired in your bones exhaustion, not just because you are up all night, but you just are tired all the time. That really interferes, obviously, with your ability to be with your family in your off time. So it creeps into all these other areas of your life. There's also a cynicism that you can develop when you're burnt out about how your work affects the world. Why are you doing this? What is the point? And you see that in a lot of folks. I think of nurses that I know who've been around for a long time and they're just kind of like, oh, that's cute. You're going to put her on the peanut ball. You know, (laughs) it's just kind of reactions you get. You see in others that they've lost a little bit of that connection to why they got into birth work in the first place to support people. And the third domain is disconnection. And a lot of what got me into this work is realizing that there's research saying that birth workers, in the, in the study, it was midwives specifically, I think it really does apply to all birth workers, that they're looking for the same connection with the people they serve that birthing people are looking for with them. And so I was reading the study and I was thinking to myself, okay, then what's in the way? Why aren't we doing it? 
And so getting to some of the underlying causes of burnout can really remove some of those barriers and help people practice the way that they want from an empowered place and get back to why they were called to birth work in the first place. Absolutely. And it's really interesting to hear the symptoms or the characteristics that can develop. I used to work in social care and I would have witnessed some of that as well with people who had that cynicism or who were feeling very disconnected from the people we were serving and how actually damaging that can be to the people that we're supposed to look after. Absolutely. You know, it has real downstream effects on the people that we're serving directly. Burnout can lead to mistakes when you're that kind of tired and you're that kind of distracted. Sometimes people on the job can get angry more quickly or more easily and also delays in diagnoses, which obviously delays treatment. But even further downstream than that, you know, communities lose faith in healthcare systems that don't take care of them well. And so if you are part of a system like a hospital system or a doula co-op or any kind of group, you want to have that connection not only with the people you're serving directly, but also with your community. And we want to be ready for the next pandemic. We want to be ready for the next whatever comes at us. And so communities... And healthcare systems need to trust each other in order for that to be effective. And so the downstream effects of burnout can get huge. I think everyone who works in or around a hospital system will have been able to recognize that either in what the people who have attended that system have told them or what they've experienced or witnessed themselves. And while one of the risk factors is around the system that you might work in and how complicated and sometimes demoralizing that may be, it doesn't mean that people who are outside of those systems are immune to burnout. Not at all. In fact, sometimes they might feel more disempowered, and that is definitely a risk factor for burnout. Um, It's actually one of the words in the title of the study that I was just talking about. So if you're not part of the system, you may feel like you don't have a seat at the table. One of the things I talk about with healthcare providers like nurses and midwives is to maybe start an evidence-based practice group in your institution. But if you're not part of an institution, I encourage a, a doula group or childbirth educator group, lactation worker group to get together once a month and go over some studies. You know, it's something I do live in a Facebook group. You don't need an institution to create community in your birth worker group and to feel less isolated. And anytime you make those connections, you bring empowerment to the picture. And that's exactly what was coming up for me when I was thinking about it, is that when we do work in isolation, so if people are working for themselves as a doula or a lactation consultant or whatever it may be, there's a lot of weight on you because of the emotions that we take in from other people as well. So because we are giving a lot of our emotional selves to somebody else, that if we don't have a space to recover from that, and sometimes we need that recovery to be with other people who understand, who who also do similar work, then we're at risk of burnout from that perspective. Yeah. And another thing that groups can do along those lines is a debriefing process and to be available to each other when a a birth has gone a little bit sideways to give a call and say, hey, 
I need to debrief. And there's a really specific process that you can go through. It was taught to me by Krista Dancy, who is just a wonderful a worker in the birth trauma space. And she does, uh, she's a therapist who is also a doula. And so she does a lot of work with birth trauma and learning how to listen and being there to tell, to hear someone's story, to help them tell it, to get it out and resolve it. If you do that in the first six weeks, you can actually avoid formation of a traumatic memory associated with the event. So it's a very important process. Yeah, vicarious trauma in caring professions and particularly in birth work has a huge significance and it's not necessarily something that people think about when they come into the work, that they may be taking on other people's trauma or witnessing trauma and having a trauma of their own with that. And they might not have the tools to know what to do. Absolutely. And I think that our system really doesn't encourage that. You know, sometimes systems will have something that they call a debrief, and it's really not the same process. It doesn't really nurture the nervous system of the person who's just experienced the event. It's really just to kind of get everybody on the same page and see like, well, could we have done something better in that situation? Sometimes it's a medical legal conversation, at least here in the States about let's make sure that we're all, we all have the same story. So maybe we fool ourselves into thinking that we've had that debriefing conversation, but actually it's something different. And so a real debriefing process gets to the trauma that you've experienced and helps you process it so that it's not encoded as a traumatic memory. Once it is encoded as a traumatic memory, there is a process. There are processes to work with it. A lot of them are the same processes that we use with parents, birthing parents who've experienced birth trauma, and they really do work. So all is not lost. I think that's one of the really important points is that it's not something that we just have to live with, that there is things that we can do either in the media aftermath or in the longer term aftermath, if we haven't got there yet. But before we get into that a little bit more, how can we avoid this happening to us in the first place? You know, I think a lot of it is cultural. I think it's sort of a domino effect. As we heal ourselves, we can actually transform our work environments and practice cultures. You know, you may feel like you come into work and you're upset by something and in nursing school, we're taught, and then you have to go into the next room. You just have to walk into the next room like nothing happened. And obviously that's not a long-term solution for a provider. We have to acknowledge that providers are human beings. We've been through this pandemic in the U.S. Pre-pandemic, we had almost half of nurses and doctors reporting burnout. After the pandemic, it was up to almost three quarters. So it's very, very high numbers and we can't go on. We'll have people leaving the profession and there won't be services there for people who need them if we don't acknowledge that people need this kind of support. And obviously it would be best if the systems that we worked in were able to provide that support themselves if we work in in a formalized system. But if the systems haven't caught up yet or they're not willing to provide that support to their staff or you work on your own, what can we do for ourselves to help avoid the burnout in the first place? I think the debriefing process is a really important part of that. Like we've talked about, I think that staying anchored in who you are, and this is where burnout gets tricky, right? Because it almost keeps you in a perpetual cycle. So the exhaustion that you feel means like that you don't want to go out on the weekend and do something, you know, go to the 
Christmas tree farm or the pumpkin patch or strawberry picking with your kids. You're just thinking that you want a day in your pajamas to binge watch Netflix and eat junk food. And I can relate to that, but it actually gets you to the end of the day off where you think nothing happened and you don't reconnect with yourself. So having something to do outside of work is a very, very important thing. And it all goes back to really identifying your values. We experience something as birth workers often called moral injury, where we have to sometimes do something that goes against our own values. I think doulas during the pandemic is a great example. You guys had to start providing remote support over FaceTime. You couldn't come into hospitals, at least in the US, a lot of the time with your clients. And so you had to find a new way to serve. You couldn't be there physically. I know people that were really gutted by this. And of course, you know, nurses who had to walk into a room because a birthing parent had had a positive COVID test and tell them that their baby had to go to the nursery and they couldn't have contact with their baby in the early days, even though as breastfeeding professionals, that might sound very counterintuitive. Those were the policies. And so even though you know something's not what it should be, you have to do it anyway. So that's where moral injury comes in and it starts to erode at your own core values and you start to question yourself. And so getting in touch, doing um, some exercises that really bring you back to your core values is a really critical part. But all of these things that you want to do, so I talk about a labyrinth. I talk about spiraling into the center of the labyrinth with information about burnout, like we've been talking about what are the underlying causes, how do we address it, get to the center of the labyrinth and you face your own personal minotaur right? You, you kind of get to your own uh, vicarious trauma, your traumatic memories, and then you spiral outward. And these are the things you do. You know, people go on about self-care and that's great. And I love a nice hot bath <laughs> with a good book and quiet, <laughs> but none of that works if you just layer it on top of the trauma that's there. And so getting back into your core values getting to the underlying causes of what's causing you to feel burnt out. Those are the things. If you're trying to stave off burnout, staying in touch with those things. I think that's a really important lesson for consideration about staying in touch with your core values, with yourself and with your family and staying connected in those ways. Because we do give so much of ourselves to other people, sometimes you can get caught up in the giving and lack in the receiving or even in just the the pausing. Absolutely. You know, we call them identity anchors and they're things that are important to you that they might be work adjacent, but they're definitely separate from your work and they keep you being who you are. I just read a book about a nurse who, you know, she bikes to work to and from work every day. And people are like, you're crazy. You have to be here by seven in the morning and you're leaving after it's dark out. You know, it's cold. Why are you doing that? She's like, this is my thing. This is what keeps me coming in here. Everybody has to have something outside of work. I'm a big believer that you, no matter how tired you are, you'll actually have more energy if you do things like pursue your passions that are outside of work. And exercise, of course, is another big one that everyone says they're too tired for, but it actually will give you more energy if you can do tiny, tiny amounts of exercise throughout your day. It's so important because when we're burnt out or when we're feeling in, when we're caught up in that labyrinth and we can't find our way out, we're not serving in the way 
that we want to serve because we can't, we can't give what we want to give when we're feeling like that ourselves. There's an old saying, you can't pour from an empty cup. But I was like, wait a minute, the cup is yours. You're supposed to drink from the cup. Drink from your cup. Pour from the teapot. (laughs) You you have to drink from your cup. You can't pour from your cup. That's for you. So you have to keep that for yourself in order to have anything to give to other people. And it is about keeping your cup full, as you say, and keeping it for you so that there is extra to give to other people. Absolutely. And, you know, firm boundaries are such an important part of that. We have to, we all come into this work because we love it. Like I said in the beginning, and sometimes it's hard to say it's my day off, but I'm just going to check my texts. I'll just check my emails. And then there's of course, you know, a text from, you know, somebody who's struggling with breastfeeding on day two or something. And, oh gosh, I know I shouldn't have looked, but now I have to answer. Now your day off is over. We are not as a group, I'm going to make a bold statement that I haven't read in the research, but I'm going to say that we're not as a group, super great with boundaries. And that is a super important thing to do to protect yourself. Um, It's another good way to prevent burnout. And if you're on your way back out of the labyrinth, after you've dealt with all the underlying causes of your burnout, it's an important piece of going forward. Absolutely. And it can happen in both ways, whether you work within a system or whether you work outside of one for for yourself, because that instantaneous, when you see that message, it can feel very much like I want to help. This is why I do this. I do it because I want to help. But I often say to people who I'm coaching that when everything that we give to our clients, we're taking away from ourselves and our family. So there has to be some level of boundaries around Mm -hmm. that. Absolutely. And, and some way to fill back up again, like you said. I think this is just such an important conversation, Jennifer, and I'm so impressed and excited about the fact that you're bringing this information to people and that you are going to be running a program to support people with this because it's not being provided by the services. We're not seeing this type of support readily available out there. Could you just explain a little bit more about the program that you're working on? Absolutely. So I'm so excited. It's finished. It's born. It was a long labor. It was a very long pregnancy and a challenging labor, but it's born. And it's going to be launching in early 2024. If you're, depending on when you're listening to this, it might be out there for you now. It's the Burnout to Bliss Solution for Birth Workers, and it will be an online program So that when you're hanging out at a birth where somebody else is sleeping, but you're not for some reason, even though you should be, um, if you're all slept out, you can hop on and, you know, work on it on your own. I thought this was the most accessible way for birth workers to do a program like this without taking too much time away from a schedule that already feels overwhelming. The fact that it's online as well and in your own time, it means people can access it from anywhere in the world and be able to access it at a time that suits them. So if people wanted to find out more about it or is there any resources they could get now while you're waiting to launch? Absolutely. I have a free guide called Beyond Birthwork Burnout, Why Self-Care Isn't Working and What to Do Instead. Some tips in there, a lot of what we've covered, a little bit more detail, some really specific information on what to do if and when you're actually triggered 
at a birth, some things you can do in the moment. I call it the nervous system first aid kit. So if you are finding yourself activated by something that's going on, it's bringing up something from the past. There are really specific things you can do, some of them without even leaving the room um, if you need to do them. So I find those really helpful to a lot of people. And that is available now. I can um, give you the link for the show notes and folks can click on over to that. That's absolutely amazing. And that link is there in the show notes for you now. And there will be a link to Jennifer's socials as well, if you would like to see more about what she was doing. So thank you so much for joining me. It has been a really lovely conversation. And while it's a heavy topic, it is important. And it is important that we talk about these things and that we get the support that we need when we need it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Neve. No problem. Thank you. 